to the flip side, folks. Galen Clavio here, along with Brian Moritz. We're both in a peachy mood uh, yes. right now going into this podcast. Brian, it is uh, always wonderful to hear your voice, and, and even though the folks listening don't get this experience, it's a pleasure to see your face as well. It's, yeah. it's one of the sunshiniest things in my daily or weekly activities, I guess. You, you need better activities then. Um, but yes, we, we, should, we should probably release a video podcast at some point. The, 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 the world needs to see my laundry room. Because it's a great laundry room. It I really, mean, it's a Pantheon. It's lock, easily laundry. the the best assembled dryer rack I think I've ever I mean, look seen. At, look at this. This is spectacular. This is yes. this is well done. Um, yes. So um, so uh, yeah, we're, we're we're both in moods. Although I do have a, a new kitten. I don't know if that made showed up on your social media feed, but there is a new kitten in my house. I don't know if I saw this today. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, we. Uh, uh, as we were talking beforehand, we have a 14-year-old cat who is not in the best health, and uh, our five-year-old, the five-year-old daughter has been asking for a kitten for a long time, and um, we wanted to have a cat. She wanted to have her own cat. We wanted to get, have her have her own pet, and also for the inevitable day when the 14-year-old is no longer with us, it will ease the transition, um, and so we adopted a a little or a little tiny 12 12 week old orange i forget orange cat i, mean, I think they have a real name but i don't know champagne something or other anyway, <laughs> her name is fiddle well, why can't we just call cats like we called them back in the 50s you know it was an orange cat or it was a gray cat there was no, none of this none of this blue haired cat thing going on I, you know i think I, I think it really is like orange champagne tabby or something like that like cat names are phenomenal because like dog breeds have all these fantastic names and then cat names are like Black. domestic long hair <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I gotta say domestic long hair is a great stage name that's fantastic uh, I, I think i saw them open for the for uh the muddy muddy boston's back in the 90s they, they were they were an emo band you know that yeah that was, yeah that's wow so um so i know we are we were a little delayed in uh in recording here so you could make your craft beer run of the week so what is your uh, your your pick does not count as well. I don't know. I've always wondered if this counts as a craft beer because it's not common in a lot of places, and it's not. It's certainly not on tap in many places. But I actually went and got me some Shinerbach. Yes. Uh, oh, which, love the Shiner. Which I haven't had Shinerbach in four years. And man, I mean, I got to be honest. Like I, I bought this almost. It was almost a hipster buy. It was almost like I'm buying this in spite of of what I think it'll taste like because it had been a while. And it actually, I'm having a 16-ounce can, and this is a really refreshing beer. Like, I, I don't know what my mind did to make me think that I wasn't going to really enjoy this, but here, here we are. Shiner's one of my favorites. I, I can remember when we were in Austin for IAX a couple years ago, and one of the great joys was being able to get Shiner there because they weren't in New York State at the time. And I remember when they came, excuse me, to, when they started distributing in New York, being very, very, very excited. I don't buy it. It's one of those things now where it's everywhere, so I don't buy it as much. But it is absolutely just a great everyday yeah. everyday beer. So um, I'm going with something a little bit more um, artisanal, I guess. It is the Hennepin Farmhouse Saison from Omegang. Wow. Okay. That's... Um... It's actually, yeah. It's um, what's what's the what's the flavor profile of this beer? Um, <laughs> it is hearty, rustic, golden ale, hoppy, and crisp. Hmm. So it's uh, let's see, the, the, the ale brewed with grains of paradise, coriander, ginger, sweet orange peel. Um, it's a lot. I, I like it, it, it. It's a saison, so it doesn't have that kind of heavy 
wheat flavor that a lot of the Omegang Belgians have. It's a little bit, a uh, little bit of an easier drink. A little bit, um, like you can have multiple of these and not fall over. Um, so yeah, um, Omegang. You know, they 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 they've made some. I like a lot what they've done the last couple of years. They have kind of their their Belgian standards, and they have a Game of Thrones themed beer that I actually got one for Father's Day is sitting upstairs. I'm saving it, but um, uh, they've done some nice things with the with the Hennepin. With uh, they have uh, a couple of pale ales out now, so they're kind of expanding out. I think more into more day everyday type beers uh, to balance and go along with kind of the, the the heftier stuff that they make. You know, one of the things that I wish I did more often to entertain myself, when you were describing the beer, I was thinking about this. Go to ratebeer.com. I don't know if you've ever been to that website. No, before. I'm going to check it out. Ratebeer.com, R-A-T-E, beer. Right. And I like to go, and, and people write up uh, flavor profiles for beers, and they rate okay. them you know, on a, like a zero to five scale. And I like to read those in British accents. Uh, oh, because, fun. So like dark tea with effervescent carbonation, no head. <laughs> mild nutty malts with mild herby malts. A mild bock overall, but very drinkable. You know, something along <laughs> those lines. Uh, just to kind of, and that was for Shiner Bach, but I don't know what yours would be. Let's but see. Uh, um, uh, Let's see. Oh, my gang had a pen. It's got a 97 score, which I'm going to assume is out of 100. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, Shiner Bach's got a 14. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh, let's see here. I can't do a British accent. So, um, this hoppy farmhouse style ale has a champagne like effervescence that should be hyphenated people with a crisp, but light on the tongue finish they, they, hyphens people really hyphens are your friends. We need, we need to throw this into Lexham answer and see what comes out. <laughs> uh, this beer serves well as an aperitif, uh, majestic golden hue. Um, yeah, I could hear British people saying this. I mean, Lord knows they have nothing else to do these days. It's been a bad week for for England. It's certainly been an interesting week for England. Yes, yes. I mean yeah. it's uh, it's uh, yeah. Well, no, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll get into that a little bit at the tail of the podcast. But yeah, yes. no, it's uh, some things to talk about. We had some topics that we saved from from last week, and mm-hmm. we might as well dive into those to start sure. with. But uh, the, you know, one I wanted to bring up was, and I, I, it's I don't know what really got me thinking about this, or I forget what it was that originally got me thinking about this, but I got to think about conspiracy theories. Yes. You know, and I feel like we're in a golden age of conspiracy theories to some degree. Right. Be- because, for a couple of different reasons. One, I feel like we're in an age where, let me back up. Uh, okay. Sorry, you can hear you can hear Galen's, like, mind, like, with the little beeping that, you know, from the reverse. <laughs> um you know, back in the old days, back in like the 90s, you know, maybe the 80s, uh, conspiracy theories were a thing that got mentioned, but but they weren't generally mainstreamed that often. There were very few conspiracy theories that truly got mainstreamed. I mean, obviously, the JFK assassination, the, the theories surrounding that were certainly mainstreamed, right. but there weren't a whole lot of others. And it really wasn't until... And I, I, I hadn't even thought about the timetable for this, but the advent of the internet in the mid-90s as a source of news, when you started to really get conspiracy theories that uh, maybe cer- still weren't in the mainstream media, but certainly were shared by a much broader number of people. And it got me wondering, like, what was it, or what is it that makes a conspiracy theory good like what makes for it what makes for the best sorts of conspiracy theories what is it that people who are interested in those things tend to gravitate to 
That's good. There are a lot of good questions. I feel like this. When you brought this up for last week's podcast, and that was right right after it was during the NBA Finals. So I kind of assumed it was the the yes. conspiracy of uh, the 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 NFL the the NBA suspending Draymond Green because they wanted either Cleveland to win or the series to go seven. Um, I rate that as a really crappy conspiracy theory. Um, <laughs> why, why is that? Well, okay. A, it's pretty... It, 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 for me, a good con- to have a good conspiracy theory, there has to be... Um, like, shadowy motives, or, like, why would they do this? Like, the, like, like that, the, the NBA doing that as a conspiracy is... Well, it's too obvious, because that's, you know, everyone who... When you heard the news that Draymond Green was suspended for Game Five, you knew all that was the, probably everyone's first or second thought. Like, oh, they're trying to get—they want this to go seven, or they want this to—they don't want this to end in five or whatever. Um, and I don't know. For me, like, so I, I, I my, my, you know, like I think a lot of people our age, the Kennedy assassination was kind of like our gateway drug to conspiracy theories. I can remember in middle in high school, like ninth or tenth grade. Must must have been ninth grade doing a term paper for my English class on the Kennedy assassination and on the conspiracy theories around this. This was right around the time JFK came out. Right. Um, so then you know that was like the the like you said that's kind of when it when it started to bloom. Um, so I think you know I, I think shadowy motives ha- have a uh, ha- have a good place in a well in a really good conspiracy theory. Like it can't be blatantly obvious. There has to be some sort of like you say it to the to the to the normal person and be like, well, why would they? Why why would they do that? Um, so I think that that that's part of it. You need a more nebulous they for a conspiracy theory than I I, I think is good. Like the government or military industrial complex or something like one, yeah. that. Yeah, you need you need a very like the black helicopter, the Bilderberg or, Group. Yes, you know, but <laughs> men in black. You know, you know, random dudes and you know. Yeah, you just need that that very the Vatican, the Vatican. <laughs> um, oh, what was the group? Uh, the Illuminati. That's who. Right, well, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And, I, and, I always get and, them confused with the Bilderberg Group. <laughs> who doesn't? Which I always call. Which I always in my mind. Always, instead of the Bilderberg Group, the I always Bilderberg think it's group? the Build a Bear Group. Yes. <laughs> so I just have this image of these these dark shadowy figures making... in suits making bears. <laughs> <laughs> if that were a comic book, I'd read that. Um, but yeah, so and that's an interesting thought too. That the uh, if the uh, Kennedy assassination was like our initial gateway drug, then like the Da Vinci Code really kind of was another kind of gateway for people. So you have this nebulous they, yeah, you know, but- uh, and, and it's people people in power. So it has to be like a government, and the vaguer the better. So a military industrial complex, something like that, or you know, the church leaders or something like that. And I, I oh, I just had, I just had a a third thought too. Well, um, I think but- it has to be plausible. You know, yes. it's funny. It, yes. It's funny to me in some ways. Like a lot of conspiracy theories, if you compare them to what happens in reality, right. are, are like the reality seems so much more implausible when you put it down on paper right. versus what the supposed conspiracy theory would be. Right. And, you know, it's like if if we were to describe, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to think of, I can't think of one immediately off the top of my head. I will shortly. But if you were trying to describe like something tragic or something like shocking that occurred, and it, you know. It, but you, but you were actually describing reality. People were like, "That's way too far out there for that right. to actually, actually happened." Right. Um, you know. So I think the, uh, the the you know it has to be plausible, or it has to. 
Um, yeah, I had that, 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 huh factor, you know, not, not necessarily like it definitely could happen, but, or, but, but that kind of, yeah, that I can, yeah, that kind of reaction you get out of people. And, you know, you know, what, what's always funny about conspiracy theorists is, you know, and, and, and especially when you're talking about like, like 9-11 truthers or, you know, uh, Newtown or, or like the worst, the worst are probably like the Newtown truthers that Newtown didn't happen. And that was like a, a false flag thing. And then you have what, what happens is you start calling them on it and, and, you, and their response is usually, you know, hey, man, I'm just raising the questions here. I'm just right. raising questions here. I'm like, no, you're actually not. You're raising questions and you're, you're, you're leading questions and leading us down 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 a way that um you know you're, you're you're trying to get us to fill in the blanks and and are heavily insinuating things um do you have a favorite conspiracy theory well, not not necessarily one that you believe but one that you just like really like i i think i, I find the moon landing conspiracy theory <laughs> fascinating i really do i really i mean the it's it's you know, because if you present the evidence in a certain way, there's actually it, it, it's not implausible. Like you look right. at it, and you're like, there's there's certain videos and there's certain like pictures that that get displayed, and you're just like, hmm, I well, I I could see that, and I mean, and even I tell you, you know, what makes that one part, part, you know even more intriguing is the the lack of any further moon landings since the last one that occurred right. in whatever so, it was, 1972. And it's like, um, but, but again, you know, the, the sheer number of people that would have had to have just, right. you know, either wittingly or unwittingly be involved in that makes it basically a, a, an implausible one. But, the, but the, the, the thought that goes in to not just constructing that theory, but constructing all of the side theories that have to be involved in it, yes. uh, really, really, I find fascinating. Um, yeah. And and that's I think you know to me the perfect conspiracy theory it, it involves all of the things that you're talking about. I think the one additional thing that it has to involve is there has it has to be what I would call a closed circuit. Like there has to be a clear winner in yes. the equation. So yes. let me give you so let me you know I'm going to touch on a couple that people might be sensitive about. So my apologies in advance, but since mm-hmm. we're talking about this topic, hopefully dispassionately, mm-hmm. take it in the spirit's intended. So it's like 9/11 for instance, like the the argument. We've heard many times, you know, like the like the buildings were, you know, exploded on controlled their own, explosion, controlled yeah. explosion, and that the hijackers were hired by certain people, and and there's never been a real good explanation as to okay who benefited from that, right? Like really, right. like okay, the, you know, the the arguments, oh, the Bush administration benefited. I was like, no, like yeah. the, like nothing, nothing positive really came out of that. Right. Uh, nothing that they couldn't have done without supposedly. Carrying through with that conspiracy theory, right. contrast that with something like, say, the JFK assassination, where you could you could easily see the CIA being like, you know what, we got hung out to dry because of the Bay of Pigs, right. um, we're going to off Kennedy, and that's going to put his brother on notice, and that's going to settle things down so we can continue to do our business for the next thirteen or fourteen years. Sure. Um, or or you know the mob is angry at Bobby Kennedy, and this is how we're going to get back at him. Like there there were some closed loops there. Right. Sure. Um, although I saw an interesting thing, I saw an interview with Bill James, uh, who for those of you who don't know, father of of Sabermetrics and now a true crime enthusiast. Right. Uh, and he was doing an interview with either Vox or the Atlantic. I forget what. And um, he wrote this book, which I haven't read yet, uh, but it goes through all of these true crime scenarios. And, and 
Uh, he mentions in passing in this interview that, you know, the, the JFK assassination theory that he does believe is that two bullets came from Oswald and the third bullet actually came from a Secret Service officer that... I read, I, heard, I, read, I read an article about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whose, whose, whose pistol discharged during, and that was actually the fatal shot, but that they right. covered it up. And that that explains, like, why a bullet came from that direction and all of that. Huh. Yeah. And he was asked, well, why, why, haven't, why hasn't that theory been grabbed onto? And he's like, well, it came out as a, in this book that was published, like, in the late 80s. And by that point, all of these conspiracy theories had already been floated about the JFK assassination. And this was this just seemed like another crackpot theory rather than one that had actually been very carefully researched, which he claims that it has. Which okay. th- I found that to be kind of a fascinating thing. It's like, to, to some degree... Even though that's not necessarily, I guess, Oakham's razor would be, okay, Oswald fired all of the shots. Right. It, it's a little more complicated, but it's certainly not nefarious. But, it's, but like, it, it, it's only one step more complicated, and it's a plausible right. step more complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I can I can totally that, – that, I, I remember reading that an article about Bill James' book, and I do remember – Remember that. This um, is we're we're true, like you know, thirty somethings in America right now. We've read articles about books that we haven't actually read ourselves. Right. Yes. You're yeah. the, we're the type of people that read like the reviews of Lost, like the, <laughs> the most recent episode of Game of Thrones or something right. like that. Even so, though we are not actually watching the series ourselves, so that we can make the joke on Twitter about right. We can feel like the in crowd, right? right exactly. <laughs> um, I, I I have an I have a slight personal conspiracy theory that I've always held. It's not really. Con- I don't know if it's conspiracy here but i also have my favorite okay. so my slight and again this is the, you know we're we do, again apologies if if we're hitting sensitive subjects but i've always felt and this is probably not a conspiracy theory it's probably you know general no, knowledge for some people but i feel like one of the reasons that we got into the war in iraq after 9-11 was in part a way to prevent future attacks here I'm not going to go deep in this because I don't want to, you know, turn this into a thing. But I really do feel like that was a let let let's fight this let, let's fight this war to basically get so that they're not going to send tar, send people over here. Right. Um. But that's you know I have well, no I, and I like to say I have no evidence of that. I've thought that as a possibility since day one. I don't know that for sure. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. It's just a thought that I've always kind of had about that 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 conflict which is which certainly from a historical perspective wouldn't i don't even classify that as a conspiracy theory because it's like why did the war the uh the war of 1898 with spain happen i mean that you know it wasn't i mean that was clearly a land grab that was dressed up as something else right uh and and you could go through american history and there's like several and not just american history i mean this has happened in oh god and any major geopolitical uh, country over the course of time, uh, it's 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 interesting to some degree what we consider to be conspiracy theory versus what is just subterfuge, I guess. Right, right. Uh, you know, that's there's a line there. Right. So my favorite conspiracy theory would have to be Area 51 and the alien landing there. I yes. love that. I love that one so much um, because again, there's a closed loop. You know, you can understand why. In nineteen in the in nineteen forty seven, they would not, you know, it, it. You know, I believe there was something there. Let's right. say that. Or okay, believe is a strong word, but um, I want to believe. I want. To- <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! No, I want to believe that it was Zoidberg. That it was Zoidberg and Bender, and a, the episode of Futurama was actual truth. Right. But about it, but um, but I just love that one because yeah, it's so much the. 
the alien, the, the they, they found evidence of aliens and they covered it up. And there's this like vast area of military that's completely off the grid that like you can't even take pictures of the picture, like pictures of the fence about it. And I just, I, I, I find, I, I have in my, uh, on my Kindle, you know, one of the many books I haven't read, um, but like to talk about a book about Area 51. And I think it's next on my, I'm going to read it soon because I, I, I do, I find that one just to be utterly fascinating because you can see not just the general panic if they found aliens or something like that, but if they wanted to use alien technology or just study what they found to, uh, so that the Soviets couldn't use it and to get ahead in the Cold War. It has kind of all those elements, the shadowy they doing it. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's a, uh, and, and I think part of me likes that one kind of more than JFK or any of the others because in a way the, the Area 51 conspiracy is really totally benign. Like right. nobody died. Like Kennedy, you know, Kennedy, a man was murdered there. And, you know, a lot of these people were killed, and, you know, alien spaceship crashed in the desert and they found it and we're picking it apart. That's just cool. I mean, that's yeah. just awesome. So, yeah, and I, yeah. You know, and I think the, the other thing I was going to mention at the beginning of this conversation, which is, which is why I think we're in the, the heyday of conspiracy theories is that you have a ready-made audience of people who are willing to believe what <laughs> you believe and are willing to provide additional evidence to further your beliefs. And there's a kind of a, a commonality, a community that, that grows up around these. And sometimes they're very small. Sometimes they're very big. You mentioned the Newtown truthers uh, or the 9-11 truthers or, you know, the, the, just that conceptualization, that idea of truther. Um, right. You know, it implies a, a shared conceptualization of knowledge that outsiders are not only refusing to accept, but are actively trying to suppress. I mean, yes. it's, it's like the most extreme version of social identity theory in action, which I really find fascinating. Right. Um, but it's interesting to me which ones grab hold and which ones don't. It's like, right. those are, those are nasty ones on a number of levels. Um, and I, you know, there's kind of a recency bias to it. And it makes me wonder what, you know, like if we'd had the, like we had a functional, worldwide internet 30 years earlier like what right. grabs hold you know in the well, 1970s well, you know versus what grabs hold now right well how about you know there, there's an interesting question we can play real quick what historical events that is not part of a mainstream or well-known conspiracy because there's conspiracy theories about literally everything probably but like what i yes go ahead caller i have one actually i, was I have one about too this. so um, the one I would I would argue that that would probably have gotten the most traction was the emergence of the AIDS virus in the late seventies, oh, okay. because here the the origin story of that is very mysterious. It's like it just randomly came out of Africa and suddenly right. started infecting gay men in the United States, right. even though it was transferred by a French stewardess or yeah, steward or whatever. Steward, yeah. You know, I mean, and there's the I know there's a very very out there conspiracy theory that it's actually a lab created disease right. because it doesn't seem to have a natural genetic analog and this is according to the conspiracy theory sure and um and i think that to some degree because of the 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 lessening of the death sentence that that hiv and aids seem to represent in the 80s and 90s that 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 whole conceptualization of it as a conspiracy has kind of melted away but i think that in a in a more interconnected world it would have probably caught and taken hold a lot more than it did. Right. I mean, and, and that has roots in a lot of these, you know, conspiracy theories just kind of have root in the, 
you know, this, you, you mentioned the subterfuge, like the stories that have come out, like the CIA te- using crack in the inner cities or testing crack that was the same in the inner cities. Mention. Yeah, something like that. Um, or, uh, you know, what even going back to like Tuskegee or something like that, mm-hmm. like all these stuff that, you know, all this, you know, crappy stuff that government and they, you know, the nebulous they have actually done. I think it. And combined with popularities of like the JFK and um, other theories like that, it kind of gets you thinking, and it it it, it, it certainly uh, can trigger an open mindedness to this. Um, the one I thought of uh, for that would have blown conspiracy theories wide open with an internet would have been the Challenger. Yeah. Um, because yes, you know, you, I've read enough about it. I've actually read books and magazine articles about this. Um, you know, about the investigation and actually what happened. But can you imagine the theories that would have come up right around that? I mean, particularly, be- particularly since Challenger was that the first major disaster that happened basically on live television yes. in the U.S. Right. I mean, I'm trying. Was there one before that? I mean, uh, there was I, on a there was on a truly national level. I mean, the closest thing like that would – the only analog I can think of would be uh, uh, Ruby killing Oswald. Yeah, but that wasn't really a tragedy in, no, that, in, in, in the sense of it was more – well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. It no, was obviously it, tra- it, it, it was a tragedy to Oswald. It was, a, it, it, was, it was a crime committed. It was not a natural disaster slash something like that happening. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. But, um, but yeah, I, it, yeah, it's um, – that's the one that jump, kind of jumps out at me. That would be, you know, the 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 truthers would be all over that one. I think I'm surprised they aren't. There probably is. I'm gonna look it up. I'm, there's probably a challenger conspiracy theory. Oh, I'm sure there. Well, I think that. Well, I, I if I remember correctly, the, the why I'm so versed in these, I I, I actually I find the whole idea kind of like Bill James finds true crime fascinating. I find the the mental. The, the mental impulse that leads human beings to believe so willingly in conspiracy theories to be fascinating. I, I think, but I don't remember what, now that, now that I think about it, I don't remember what the Challenger one was. Um, I mean, it just there's seems, one, there's it one seems that's... so obvious that it was gross incompetence that All I right. kind of just, just wrote most of the uh, the conspiracy elements off, I think. Well, well according to Snopes, uh, crew mem- the, one of the conspiracy theories claimed that the seven astronauts li- are quietly living out their lives, and they, they survived oh, the crash. That, you know what? That we forgot to mention that as a, a cornerstone to a lot of conspiracy theories, that okay. that the victims actually survived yes. and that something's being hidden, which is a it's a trend. You, you see it in Newtown. You mm-hmm. see it in the the conspiracy surrounding the DC flight. And I can't remember the number of the flight that supposed that supposedly crashed into the Pentagon that actually oh, yeah. all of those people are actually living in a cave somewhere in Appalachia. Uh, right. You know, it, it, that's a, that's a relatively common thread that anytime there's a huge disaster, uh, even with the, the Malaysian airlines flight that, mm-hmm. that they, they're finally finding pieces of like the theory was, okay, that plane's sitting on a runway somewhere in, in Kazakhstan or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, that's a really good point. And, and you know, you know, the Elvis, you know, I wonder like the Elvis is alive or the Tupac is alive, you know, Hitler surviving and in, in, in living in uh, was it Brazil or Argentina? Well, have you re- have you read the CIA articles around that? Because there there, there were oh. s- there were several. <laughs> it's the, that area. The, my sister sent me this. I'll have to send you the link. I think you'll find it fascinating. But there were all of these eyewitness accounts from people that claimed to have met Hitler in Argentina, like okay. he was living in this small town in Patagonia. 
uh, you know, someone claimed to have met him as he came off of the, the U-boat that, that had docked uh, off the, the coast. Um, right. You know, stuff, you know, stuff like that. I mean, and, and you can you can discount a lot of it because a lot of it's contradictory. But it, you can see, to some degree, if you read through all of these things, how uh, you read enough stuff, even if it's contradictory, if it has a similar underlying point, i.e. Hitler's alive and living in South America, right. that eventually your brain gets conditioned to the idea that maybe this is true. Maybe maybe I'm the one that's crazy. Well, and I think you, you kind of hit on a, an important point, you know, unifying all conspiracy theories. It's like there's this inexplicable thing that we can't comprehend and we're and we're trying to make a narrative out of it or we're trying to kind of make sense about it more and we're trying to kind of I, there, there, there's something larger than life about it like jfk getting shot in broad daylight that can't have been just one dude shooting you know for, I, I, all evidence aside that can't be just one dude shooting you know the, the scrawny looking dude shooting a rifle out of a building there has to be more involved Adolf Hitler, you know, probably history's wor- you know, 20th century's worst person, worst monster. He can't just have shot himself in his bunker. You know, that's not that. You know, 9/11 couldn't just have. You know, they, they, 9/11 they couldn't have beat us and and caught us that off guard. There has to be something more to it. I think that's a that that kind of big underpinning. Like there's this larger than life thing that happened, and there has to be more to the story. There has to be more to it. I think that's right. a yearning a lot of people, you know, w- generally have, and I think that can spur a lot of these theories, that kind of quest for a better, more satisfying, a more uh, just more, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's why I wanted to bring it up because because it was it's a kind of an offbeat topic from the yeah. things we normally talk about, and it makes the sports conspiracy theories seem positively mild by comparison. Right. I, right. Think. Like, you, I mean, the only sports conspiracy theory I can actually think of. I mean, I'm sure you know more, but the only one I can think of is you know the the, the stupid one Bill Simmons is always talking about, where the, the frozen envelope for the yes. past viewing one. Um, and yes, that just seems so dumb. Um, and yet, and yet, you look at what's happened with FIFA over the last couple of years. Well, Jesus, and, they're a conspiracy and, theory in and of themselves. But it's but it's all been true. Is the fascinating yeah. thing. I mean, you know, like all of this, all of this graft and corruption, and and you know, Qatar being awarded the the World Cup because the they paid off people with you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, like stuff that stuff that was being you know uh, sh- you know shushed as 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 in you know fantastic and incredible and not believable right it's all basically been revealed to be accurate and even something slightly more mundane but 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 arguably a lot more damaging to the sport like the the prevalence of match fixing across so many different leagues you know stuff that we here in the united states in sports we get told you know the officials aren't being paid off da 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 and then you get a tim donahy in the mix and you're like you know the the responsible thing from an intellectual perspective seems to be to say, "Oh, Donahue was a lone wolf," and then you think about how people work, and you think about all the gambling scandals that have happened in American sport over the course of the last hundred years, and you're like, mm-hmm. "You really think that's the only guy in professional right. sport that's taking money?" And you know that those those things. It's it's why I think we wrap our brains around conspiracy theories to some degree, because the idea that everything is ab- above board and on the up and up almost seems more incredible than some of the conspiracy theories that come our way. Right. It's kind of like the other one I just thought of as, as, as you were talking is the uh, Jordan actually got suspended 18 months for gambling right. when he retired and went to play baseball. And, um, 
you know, again, it's that, no, Michael Jordan couldn't have retired when he did because he was upset, you know, torn apart by his father's murder and decided to do something, you know, on the face of it, ridiculous and play minor league baseball. Um, that couldn't have happened. That that can't be right. It has to be this th- th- this other thing. But I, but you know, aside from FIFA, thinking primarily in American sports, I can't really think of. And, and one of the funny well, in America, well, well, the funny things in American sports theories. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Were you going to say the only one I can think of would be like the the Sac- like involved like one game, like the Sacramento Kings and was it O two? Oh, I think like that's the, I think that's small time. I mean, I like feel the like Phoenix the, Suns. The, 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 those are little things, and yeah, I mean, those are certainly ones that get some attention. But uh, to some degree, I think it's it's almost like those are like f- false flag conspiracy yeah, they theories, are the false flag operations. Yeah. Because uh, you know, I mean, there, there's a there's a famous book that was written in the '80s about the mafia and their ties to NFL uh, gambling, and. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's basically been buried, like it's been lost to history to some degree. You can find copies on on uh, on Amazon, very very cheap. Um, and, but the idea that there was an organized crime presence um, involved with sport and gambling, and and you know the outcomes of games, is something that I think people don't want to think about. Right. Um, and so therefore we don't think about it and we'd rather concern ourselves with these little things that really don't matter in the big scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and again, I think that's a, it's a fascinating psychological con- condition that, that, uh, that the, the human brain tends to generate in because it's like when, when the, it's kind of like the old joke about academia, you know, the politics are so vicious because the stakes are so small and, and, and to some degree, I feel that way about the way that people look at conspiracy theories in sports. It's like the little conspiracy theories people want to get really worked up about, whether it's Kings Lakers in 02, whether it's the NBA draft lottery being rigged in 85 or rigged towards Cleveland or whatever. Right. But the, you know, the really, the really like big conspiracy theories that are out there in sports, people don't necessarily want to think about really for the same reason. I think that people don't want to talk about politics when they talk about sports. Like it's like weighty stuff that they don't want to even consider. Yeah. And it's always, it always strikes me funny with conspiracy theories in sports, especially now like that they don't want Oklahoma city in the finals because they're a small market or they don't want the bills to do well because they're a small market like that really matters anymore. But let me me make that argument in the eighties that you want Patrick Ewing in Right. In New York, because of the media market, but now I don't think that matters. But let me give you a, a completely out there conspiracy theory that you'll yeah. find completely unbelievable. Yes, an athlete that is at the top of their profession, engaged in a, a systematic period of taking performance enhancing drugs for over a decade that was completely masked by advanced scientific study, and that person won multiple titles in their sport. Um, without anybody knowing about it, I don't. That that never happened. That <laughs> never happened. Can't Actually, believe, I can't believe you would make such observations <laughs> about Roger Federer like that. <laughs> well, you that's know, the we, thing. See what we did there? Planning this on the internet. Now it's starting the seeds of the Roger Federer conspiracy. Now, for for those of you folks who don't know, who who am I talking about there? Lance Armstrong. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's you know. Uh, you know, my favorite sports conspiracy theory, which nobody talks about now, which I, it is interesting, is that the whole Tiger Woods, Ellen Nordgren thing was actually a cover-up for the fact that Tiger Woods was going to be suspended for performance-enhancing drug use. All right. Uh, and, and you know, that 
all of the evidence in relation to that that was being collected ended up being suppressed because he ended up being out of, of golf for like a couple of years. Yeah. And just coincidentally, he, since that point, he's never won another major. Interesting. Yeah. And again, so that's, you see, I did the huh. I did the interesting. Right. And that's all it takes to kind of plant that seed. Right. Uh, you know, do you really believe that one or are you just, or are you just, let me, let me, let me put it this way. Um, back in 2007, when I was teaching at the University of Miami, mm-hmm. I was giving a lecture about performance enhancing drugs. Now I'm, I'm on the record as saying, I actually think performance enhancing drugs are perfectly fine. Right. I think the prohibition on them is stupid, mm-hmm. but I, I argued to my class that any athlete that is at the top of their game, top of their profession, mm-hmm. At this point, 2007, and I still think it's true today, any athletes at the top of their profession is on performance-enhancing drugs. Okay. And if you believe that they're not, then you're naive. Okay. And, and you know, it was in – we had just read Game of Shadows, which is a great book. Everybody yes. should read it. And yes. it's a great example of this. It's like people complained or – maybe not complained, but people, people alleged for years that track and field was dirty as hell. And right. people were like, oh, you know, people don't think that we're good enough to – you know, Marion Jones would say that, you know, people people don't think that I can do this on my own, stuff like that. And, yeah, actually, Marion, you couldn't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. You were doping for, for you know, a decade. Right. Um, but to me, I looked at it and I said, look across the board. Look at the people who have gotten busted in baseball. Look at the people who are – who. You know, nobody's testing in basketball. Nobody's testing in football. Um, but if I, and I even told the class at this point, I was like, I wouldn't be the least bit shocked if Lance Armstrong used performance enhancing drugs. And the class literally laughed at me. Really? They laughed at me. This wow. was in 2007. Right. Um, but and the stories had been out there by that by that point, hadn't right. they? Yeah. But but the but but that's that that and so when I say I think Tiger Woods was probably using performance enhancing drugs, it's the same philosophy. Like, okay. From for a spell, like we want to, we want we we always. I feel like as as sports fans and certainly as sports media members, I feel mm-hmm. like the default stance is always naive appreciation of the athlete's superhuman yes. gifts when they right. get to that level. Mm-hmm. And I I don't believe in that orthodoxy. I believe I'm I am I'm certainly of the opposite mindset that if you've reached the pinnacle from a physical perspective, then you're probably doping. And I don't have a problem with it philosophically, but I do have a problem philosophically with acting like, um, there's, you know, that, that you get to that level without some sort of assistance. Like, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's possible. I think that it's too competitive of a feel at this point. So I right. guess to some degree, I do kind of believe that conspiracy theory. I mean, I mean, yeah. And, I mean, it, it's certainly interesting to think about, you know, both in a, as an intellectual exercise and kind of thinking of, of it of it like that. It's interesting that you think of it as a conspiracy theory when you inherently probably don't see anything wrong with it. Well, it's a cons- okay. So it's a it's a confidence conspiracy, I guess okay. I would say. It's the idea that's being put forward that, um, like I, you know, I don't believe there's anything wrong with PEDs, but. I am certainly on an island uh, kind of with a very small number of other people when it comes mm-hmm. to sports with that. I mean, there's so many people who prattle on about the integrity of the game and this and that. And, right. And, you know, I think that from that, if you think about the messages that get pushed as far as, I can't, I don't know why we're going down this path, but whatever, <laughs> the messages that get pushed about the, you know, about being role models and, oh, and this God, and yeah. that mm-hmm. there's so there's, there's so many tens of millions of dollars in, in advertising dollars in league support in, in all of this other stuff that goes along with being clean in the eyes of the public and certainly in the eyes of the media. I mean, look at the reaction 
that Peyton Manning, uh, you know, elicited with this the Al Jazeera report that came out last year. Right. And you know, you had people in the media saying, you know, I think Peyton Manning probably did use performance enhancing drugs, uh, in you know, to 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 heal his neck so that sure. he could play, and that should be fine. Like, why right. is that a big deal? And Bill Simmons talked about that on several occasions on his podcast. So I think you can believe that things happen, right. while also believing that the the presentation of things is not being wrong. It's almost like show business to some degree. You know, because I do believe there's a lot of people out there that really think that WWE wrestlers naturally get to look the way that they look. Like, they, right. don't, they, they don't have any help except going into the weight room every day. Uh, train, say your person, eat your vitamins. Right, exactly. You know, make sure you, you know, take your creatine and, mm-hmm. and you know, you'll be in great shape. Um, interesting, yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see if any well, – the, the Tiger story um, – we'll, we'll transition to a couple other topics here in a second. But yes. the, the Tiger story is fascinating when you think of – like how still again again part of element of a conspiracy theory how shadowy that all is how that went down and how it was sudden and um ex- both completely understandable and yet still inexplicable like he you abused his body physically like i mean he went hard and you know father times undefeated so it's not out of the realm but that was you know to have such a sudden fall on the golf course, a sudden such a breakdown of, of your body, um, and to have it going on at the same time as you know your personal life is falling apart. Yeah, it's one of those. Again, it's a huh. It's a you know I, you know you're not saying, but you're just saying. It's it's interesting when you think about when when you look at how it, how how it all how how it timed out, how it worked out. Um, yeah. Um, so anyway, one of the topics I had mentioned talking about this week, and I'm going to be on an island on this, I think, because I think <laughs> I, I think I know you, and I don't really have a, a, a clear point. It's kind of a, like I said on Twitter when we, you guys were tweeting about something else. It's kind of an incomprehensible rant about instant replay. Um, okay. So, um, it, so it really came to a head. We went out to uh, one of our pizza places by our house to grab lunch the other day. It was uh, must have been Saturday, um, and so we're sitting there eating our pizza, eating our garlic knots, and they had uh, on the TV they had the replay of the previous night's Mets Dodgers game, um, and I was like eight to five in the fifth inning, and in, in, I don't even know who won the game, so inconsequential game as far as I'm concerned, no super rooting interest. I kind of follow the Mets, but there was a bang bang play at first at first base. They call the guy out, and then they go and they do instant replay on it. And they go through the whole review. Replay shows he's safe. They call him safe. And I've been thinking about this for a long time, especially watching football and basketball, too. And it really kind of came, came to a head when I was watching that replay how, uh, in, the, in, that, in that random Mets game. How much I've grown to hate instant replay. Um, and one of the reasons I thought about using this as a topic was there was that goal – and it was one of the soccer international soccer games. It was was it which one was it Germany versus somebody where the dude handballed it clearly handballed it into the net and they reviewed it and they still gave him. It, you no, know, it was uh, it was it was um, it was Brazil, Brazil and, and Ecuador. Yes, or no, not no Brazil and Peru. Sorry, okay, Brazil yeah. and Peru. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, so what, what's interesting when I was thinking about how I feel about replay? So. Opponents, so people who kind of don't like replay, typically fall into two worldviews or two views that I actually don't subscribe to. You either, um, it's, you, 
you know, the, the goal of replay is to get the calls right and to, and, 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 or to fix mistakes, which is an interesting question. And, you know, it's, it's either you have, you don't like technology, which I obviously like technology. I have digital media in my job title and I'm on two podcasts. I clearly like technology. So I don't have a, a problem with like technology creeping into sports. I think it's actually very beneficial. So I'm pro technology and I, or, if you're against instant replay, you kind of have this like that romantic argument of the human element of the game or whatever, like the human element and calls and making mistakes on it. And I don't particularly uh, subscribe to that viewpoint too. I just don't tend to like instant replay, and it's a purely emotional kind of fan reaction to it. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, part of it is like. I realized I was thinking about that that replay in the Mets in that Mets Braves game. It was Mets Braves, so even worse. Um, but it's like all this, you know, all this time and reviewing it, and it's a bang bang play at first in an inconsequential game in June, mm-hmm. and, and 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 I feel like for one thing, instant replay can really. In a way, Joe Poznanski's written about this, and I didn't agree with him at first, but I've come around to his point of view. He can really suck a lot of the fun, the joy out of like big moments in sports where like your team scores a touchdown, like like you know, Sammy Watkins catches a tiptoe catch at the end back of the end zone. Crowd goes crazy. But wait, we gotta review it. Look at did he get both feet in? Did he get both feet in? Kind of looks like okay, he got both feet in, touchdown. Woo. And and it kind of takes that that big joy out of the moment. And I remember the uh the Villanova shot at the uh at the, fi- the 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 last shot of the NCAA tournament and you know they reviewed it and so like he hit it it was clear but you still had that moment of well they got to look at it to make sure it was good and blah da da and it just so from that aspect it kind of sucks a lot of that that awesome joy that that like in the moment joy out of a lot of sports and also i mean okay that's you know kind of a, an in the clouds you know hippie thing but i also feel like um, it's led to just this real litigious environment around sports and around sports rules where, you know, yes, I understand the technology is there. We can all watch the games in super high def and in super slow motion replay. And so, you know, we can see errors and we can see mistakes and we can see things happen. And um, But I, I, I feel like something like the NFL catch rule, the way as convoluted it is now, couldn't exist without the without instant replay and because you can slow everything down and look at it you know frame by frame really Zapruder film style and i and and it and it i don't know it just you know all of a sudden now what what's a catch and what's not a catch is not you know who you know it take you know million blog entries about what's a catch and what's not a catch and how kind of dumb that is and i don't know it just like I don't want to do away with instant replay necessarily, but I just, I don't, I found myself not liking it. So. Okay. Um, a lot of attack there. Yes. And no, please, I know you're a pro tech dude, so you're going to no, tell me why I'm an idiot. But. No, 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 I'm not. You make some good points. Um, here's, here's, I think what we have to keep in mind. Okay. Um, the, the problem isn't the technology; it's the way that the people are using the technology. That's kind of what I was thinking. But go, and, and, please, yeah, and you know the the problem with with certainly with American society is that it, if I can get like completely broad for a second, is that we've got people who are ridiculously addicted to like adhering to the rules, yes, and and applying them in places where they shouldn't 
necessarily matter and and acting like what happens in the 12th 12 minute mark of the second quarter of a football game is it has the same weight as something that happens with three seconds left right we also have a problem with the way that we conceptualize the field of play and umpires you know everybody talks about or referees whatever you know everybody talks about wanting to keep the human element in games well we already have a human element it's called the players right um i don't really give a shit about officials like to me like when people are like well officials are human well okay great then it, but if we're going to be so obsessed with rules and, and making sure that rules are adhered to, then get the damn humans who are subject to human error out right. of the business of judging whether something happened or didn't happen. To me, the biggest problem with replay, two two biggest problems. One is what I talked about earlier, which is that we, we, we apply it when it doesn't matter and it ends up giving it a bad name for when it does matter. Right. But the second is, in almost every sport, we insist that the on-ice or on-field or on-court official be an active part of the review process. Thank you. Yes. I, I, so two thoughts on that, if I may. So um, the, the, the adherence to the rules is funny because like, I, like I, I, I've thought about this a lot. And I need to articulate it better, but it's like, does replay exist to fix mistakes or to get the calls right? Because they're different things. Because well, one, one, one area that this has come up a lot on my Twitter feed um, from some of the writers I follow is the new rule in hockey this year where they could review offsides. Yes. And, and, and like, that's a perfect idea where if you're like to get the calls right, then, you know, if anybody's, you know, the, the toe drag is, well, offsides and that gets the call right. But how much does that actually impact the goal? How many times does that actually, you know, does that, is that letter of the law versus, you know, the spirit of the game? And like that strict adherence to, well, he was a toe, like, you know, he was offside and then 10 seconds later they scored. So they have to pull it back. And, um, and so I think that, and, um, the other thing I was thinking of is yes, the, the way it's used, um, the best replay for me is the tennis system at Grand Slams, the Eagle Eye, where they just call, they, like, they call for a review, the player asks for a review, they do it, it's quick, it's, I don't, I assume it's very definitive, I'm, I don't know margin of error, but it, I've never heard anything that it's, like, rigged, so it seems pretty, pretty definitive, and it's quick, and they move, and, and they move on, and I think a lot of that is interesting, that, like, the tennis officials seem to be like, okay, that's quick. I I I I, I judge that. You know why does like like on that bang bang play at, at, at first? Why do we need to have the rep, the umpire on the field go over, get the headset on, talk to somebody, look at a replay to make that decision? I understand the umpires' union is powerful and the referees' unions are powerful and they're trying to maintain that. But at some point, you could just have a replay official call up and say, "Nope, you were you blew you you, you bombed that call. He was safe." You don't even need you know what you don't even need to have them call up and say. To me, they shouldn't even be involved. Look, you're there to call a game on the field. People make mistakes. If you made a mistake, let someone fix it. Don't act. Don't 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 insist on being a part of the process. That's what I mean. Can, yeah. So you can confirm. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, it's it's at that point. This is where I think replay gets it wrong, and I think it gets it wrong in almost every sport. I think tennis is a great example because it's a computer. Right. I think I think in soccer they get it right because it's a computer. The computer says the well, ball. Well, except for Brazil. Well, that but no, there was no replay in that. Oh, okay. there, there was I no, there was. was. I'm sorry. There was no, there was, there was okay. no goal line replay in that because oh, it's only the line because okay. Con, Con the ball has not adopted uh, goal line technology. Uh, okay. 
Um, but but the Euros, which are going on in in, Euro, in 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 France right now, they have adopted it, and they there have been some cases where if if there's a goal, the official gets tweet get like gets a little bump in their ear, and it, they'll be like, hey, it's a goal, and then they signal it, and then you move on. And if it doesn't happen, then they don't really worry about it. And I think that that's to me that's the root cause of the problem in a lot of these replay situations is that we're not willing to just accept the idea that you know what there's computers watching all of this stuff let's let the computers jump in we don't even need to we we, we can stop play when the computer says hey there's a problem we need to go back and do this yeah. And, yeah. and i feel like so much of the so much of the issue so much of the perceptional issues of replay simply come down to that it's mm-hmm. not that the technology is bad it's that the technology is being grossly misapplied by an ego driven profession that doesn't want to let go of the power that they have Right. I'll agree with that. Yes, it's not replay the problem. It's the go under the hood and look at it and talk about it for two minutes when it's a three-second look. Did he be? And by the way, and by the way, of all the professions that shouldn't be ego-driven, it's officials. Yes, because they and, and and the best ones are not. Like you know, you know. I, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, a lot of I think okay. I think the best ones know that they're the best ones, and that makes right. them even more ego-driven. Or, but, but you know, the, the a lot of the most respected refs, I think, w- are the ones who will admit to players. Like, I think so. I, you know, for, okay, anecdotally, I have no proof of this, but like, you know, I think. Of but Jim, they're also the ones least likely to surrender control of the call, which is true. what we're asking them to do in right. this situation. Right. You know. You know, the, the kind of classic example of that is Jim Joyce. You know, the, the Galarraga perfect game, and he blew the call, and like he, like you know, you know, you talk about the the great part of the human element is you know he comes off the you know. It immediately admits after the game, you know, he's the only ref I can remember, you know, openly saying, yeah, I horked that call. And a, well, a ref's hork calls all the time. Let's be to, honest. And they know that. And, right. and, 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 you know, I think the best, pl- the best refs are ones who will, you know, they, I don't know how publicly they do it, but I, I, you hear stories like they admit it. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I botched that. Yeah. I missed that one. Or, or well, yeah. to be, look, to be fair of all the sports, baseball's probably the one least applicable to this. Like, if there's a sport that probably shouldn't have replay, it's it's likely baseball. Um, but if you're going to do – like, you know, cause, because baseball is – it's just like – the thing that I, I think that I've grown to dislike about baseball the most, and there's plenty of things I like about baseball, mm-hmm. but it's a bunch of judgment calls dressed up as some kind of larger code that, that everybody knows. Right. And, and yet – you know, from baseball game to baseball game, there's there's alterations in the way that that is that that's executed, sure. in the way that it's right. Re- you know, so even even something like the strike zone, yes, you know, something okay. so I'm... important to the game is considered nebulous. And well, when you actually put a strike zone as defined by the rules on the screen and show where balls and strikes are happening, umpires get angry that you're you're like usurping their authority to call the strike zone the way they want, which is, which again demonstrates why the game probably shouldn't have a replay period. Because if you're going to get upset about something so cut and dry, then there's really no hope for the rest of the game. Well, and what, 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 what always kills me about, about uh, baseball replay discussion. And look, a lot of my mainstream sports reporting knowledge comes from uh, um, PTI. So forgive me, if I, but this is a commonly <laughs> held belief is that you want replay in baseball? Okay, but we don't want you don't want it on balls and strikes. You don't want them calling on balls and strikes. And I'm thinking, why not? 
you know, why, why, you know, that's another weird thing. You know, I, I, I will disagree with Bill Belichick 90% of the time as a Bills fan, but like one of his things he's always pushing for is every play should be reviewable, which is maddening, but it makes sense. Like I've never understood that, you know, the, the, the neighborhood play at second base, which is, is now under, like, you can replay, you, you can review that, but you can't review balls and strikes. Like, like, and look, I understand as a fan, that would be awful, you know, if you're reviewing balls and strikes, but that would be something that, like, you have the strike zone. You can superimpose that with pitch FX. Like, that data is there. You can easily fit, you, you can easily check to review that and it just strikes me as odd as what we're willing to accept as okay we can review this but we can't review this and like i understand like the the 12 minutes in the second quarter versus the end of the game but you then but then you get into a butterfly effect thing where like you know where you know if if he doesn't if he gets actually got four yards on second down if he actually caught that four yard pass then you know it changes the next play column da 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 but it's just it's always striking to me you know, when you look at instant replay, which on the face of it is so logical, like we have these cameras, we have the technology, let's make, let, let, let's make sure the calls are correct. And by all the layers we've added to it, both the human judgment, both the what's reviewable versus what's not reviewable, and we've kind of accepted those, those weird limitations on it. It just, it makes for, I, I, I just think, just a a less optimal fan experience. Like it's, it's no fun. Like even when I'm watching Bill's games, it's like, and, and the bills are going to win a challenge. It's like, oh, we're going to review this. Great. Like there's, <laughs> eh, you know, it's like, it's like there's 15 minutes now. I got to wait. I, I got to spend for them to, to go through this. So I don't know. Like I said, it, it, it's, I'm not, yeah, I, I think you've hit it. I'm not anti replay. I'm more anti the application and how it's put out and how it's used. So. I, yeah, I'm not anti-technology. I'm anti-people who use the technology. So, you know, there <laughs> you go. Absolutely. That's like my that's 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 become my my valediction or something like that. Anyway, nice. we're almost at the hour mark, so we should Perfect. probably save our remaining topics for the next time. Yes. But, uh, and, I, and I will try to formulate an opinion on that topic. And I saw you guys arguing about that on Twitter. I'm like, great. Now I have to think. Now I have to have an, I have an opinion on this. Well, it takes some time. It's a nice evergreen topic. But it is. I think yeah. it, it. And the nice thing is, it doesn't have anything to do with soccer necessarily. Uh, you know, and and if you go if you go back and look at the conversation, um, we're talking really about youth development in, in American sport. Uh, there's some good things to sink your teeth into, but we'll we'll wait until next week to really yes. tackle that. Well, maybe not because you know um, oh, that's right. Fourth of July is yeah, next week. Next week is the Fourth of July, so we might have to we might have to postpone a day or two before we do our next podcast. Absolutely, yeah. So um, so be, be on the lookout for that in your in iTunes or RSS. Um, Show notes, as always, sportsmediaguy.com. On the flip side, look for us on Twitter. If you have something you want us to ramble about, hit us up on Twitter at hashtag FlipsidePod. We, are, we guarantee we will do at least one minute on it. So At least a minute. Maybe, a a, minute. maybe 90 we, We've never been limited to one minute on any topic. So, um, no, we didn't even talk about our beers for one minute. It was, <laughs> it was more than that. But I talked anyway. about cat for more than one minute. You did. That's true. Anyway, so. uh, folks, thanks for listening. And Brian, is always a pleasure to chat with you. And uh, folks, try to have a good, safe 4th of July. Do not hold fireworks when you light them. Just don't yeah. do not do it. Just run, light them and run away. Important if, safety if, tip. Thanks, Egon. Yes, this is this will be <laughs> too. Anyway, we will catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody. See ya.